In their essay, The Importance of Elders and Family in Native American Culture, Patricia Clark and Norma Sherman write about a visit to the Lakota Indians of South Dakota. They learned of the importance and function of elders among these Native Americans. An elder, though not officially elected or appointed, was an older man generally recognized and esteemed because of their wisdom and spiritual leadership. Their example taught younger members of the tribe about Lakota culture and traditions. They sustained the tribe's values and beliefs. Essentially, they write, elders are libraries of Indian knowledge, history, and tradition. As tribal elders in the past made important decisions for the well-being of their tribe, the Lakota elders today continue to function through their presence at council meetings and other social events. They are valued for being the bridge between the past and the present. The title of elder is bestowed on an individual who has gained wisdom through a long life. A tribal member who needs counsel will approach an elder for advice. An individual does not assert that he should be declared an elder. They write, it is not a matter of self-nomination, but a term of respect bestowed upon the person by others in the community. This morning, I continue my three-sermon series titled, A Noble Task, Being an Elder in the Lord's Church. And I want to quickly review five key points from last week's uh, first lesson. First of all, an elder and an overseer are the same person. Number two, a plural number of elders govern the local congregation. Number three, the term elder, the Greek word presbyteros, emphasizes age, wisdom, experience, and maturity. Number four, the word overseer, the Greek word episkopos, emphasizes oversight, guidance, care, vision, and management. And finally, number five, an elder is a man of calling. His aspiration to serve as an overseer, uh, he discerns as a prompting by the Holy Spirit. He feels being pulled by God for this task. This role becomes his vocation. And if he is unable to fulfill that role or refuses to fulfill that role, he ceases to be an elder. And so this morning we continue this series with lesson two, an elder is a man of character. And we will eventually uh, get to 1 Timothy 3 and Titus chapter 1. But we're going to begin in uh, Acts chapter 20. And let me quickly summarize verses 17 through 38. Paul is at the end of his third missionary journey. He is hurrying to reach Jerusalem in time for the Feast of Pentecost. He sends word to the elders of the church in Ephesus 
to meet him in Miletus. He has a special bond with these men and desires one final visit because he understands he will never see these men again. And his message is sobering. Paul reminds them that their appointment was from the Holy Spirit. They must be on guard not only for their flock, but also for themselves. Savage wolves would infiltrate their ranks. Some of these very elders would exalt themselves. Some would misguide the congregation. Some would create their own following. Some would have their own misinformed disciples. Now, fast forward five to eight years. Paul writes to Timothy the letter that we refer to as 1 Timothy. And Timothy is now in Ephesus. False teachers are present. Some Christians have shipwrecked their faith. Paul has even delivered two brothers to Satan. Some elders were sinful and needed rebuking. And so the church in Ephesus needed more elders, men, more men of wisdom and experience to provide spiritual guidance. And so Paul begins to give Timothy directions to appoint new elders. And in our sermon last week, we covered chapter 3 and verse 1, where Paul writes, Here is a trustworthy saying, Whoever aspires to be an overseer desires a noble task. Or as the Revised Standard Version reads, If anyone aspires to the office of bishop, he desires a noble task. But it's not just a matter of adding anyone. Desire does not equal appointment. A certain kind of man needs to be added. Paul paints a picture of that type of man in 1 Timothy 3, uh, verses 2 through 7. Paul does the same thing for Titus, whom Paul had left on the island of Crete to complete unfinished work and to appoint elders in every town. And so we have these two lists, both from the Apostle Paul, 1 Timothy 3, verses 2 through 7, and Titus 1, verses 5 through 9, where he paints a picture or gives a portrait of the type of individual, the type of man who should be appointed as an elder. Uh, New Testament scholar Gordon Fee observes three noteworthy features about these two lists. Number one, they give qualifications, not duties. They reflect outward observable behavior. And number three, none of the items are distinctly Christian. Paul expects their lives will manifest the highest standards of their culture and assumes the presence of these virtues in the lives of the men chosen to serve as elders. To Fee's point might be added the highly subjective nature of many of these qualities. Thus the importance of finding a consensus in the selection 
of these men. And when you read these two texts, though not exactly the same, the contents of both lists are similar. You get the same man from both lists. The qualities lifted have to do with character, habits, and personality. The characteristics emphasize a man's reputation and influence within the family of God and outside the family of God within the social community. And so what I would like to do this morning is to uh, briefly look at those two lists and not so much go into a detailed word study of each particular uh, characteristic, but to summarize the thought, or again, to paint the picture or to give the portrait of the type of man Paul says should be leaders among us. And when you look at the two lists, I would like to suggest this morning that it has to do with a man and five fundamental relationships that he has in his life. First of all, a number of these characteristics, a number of these qualities has to do with a man's relationship to others. For example, from 1 Timothy, he lists things like being above reproach, being respectable, hospitable, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, having a good reputation with outsiders. Titus adds the following qualities, blameless, not overbearing, not quick-tempered, not violent, and uh, also being hospitable. And so when you put these characteristics together, and when you study the terms and the concepts involved here, here is what Paul is saying in a man's relationship to other people. He is an elder who is well thought of. He is welcoming. He is not argumentative. He is not difficult to get along with. He is full of grace and lenient. He is a peacemaker. He does not invite conflict, but seeks to revolve conflict. He is not to be condescending nor egotistical. He remains calm and composed. He is an example and a witness of the gospel to both Christians and non-Christians. His character is unquestioned, unchallenged, and indisputable. But there is a second group of people, we might say, uh, in which Paul lists certain qualities or characteristics, again, a man and his relationships. And this time, it concerns a man's relationship to his family. From 1 Timothy, he is faithful to his wife and manages his family well, and his children respect him. Titus adds his children are believers and are not open to the charge of being wild and disobedient. And so very simply put, an elder is a model husband and father. A third relationship that Paul seems to cover in these two lists has to do with a man's relationship to God and his word. From 1 Timothy, he is able to teach and not a recent convert. Titus adds the man is upright, holy, 
holds firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. So again, looking at uh, these two lists and thinking about this man's relationship to God and his word. An elder is a mature Christian. He is knowledgeable in the word of God and proficient in his use of it. He is righteous and devout. A fourth category of relationships. Again, as as Paul is, is painting a picture for us for the type of man who should be leader, a leader among us. His relationship to things. From Timothy, uh, an elder is not given to drunkenness. He is not a lover of money. Titus adds, he does not pursue dishonest gain. And so I believe what Paul is saying is an elder is free from any form of substance abuse which might cause irresponsible behavior and cause a weaker Christian to stumble. He is not materialistic. He is not worldly. He has his priorities straight. And then finally, the fifth relationship. that an elder has is to himself. From Timothy, we find being temperate and self-controlled. From Titus, loving what is good and being a disciplined man. So an elder, as we sometimes say, is calm, cool, and collected. He maintains command of his judgment. He is practical, reasonable, and level-headed. His life is distinguished by order, organization, and restraint. And so here is the bottom line. He is a man of highest character, respect, and integrity. He is not a perfect man, but beyond criticism and blame. He is a man of God you are willing to trust and follow. Now, it has been my experience uh, as a minister in Churches of Christ for over 30 years that two opposite tendencies have been exhibited toward these two lists of qualities. One is to set the standard so high that virtually no one can meet the qualities and so not appoint any men to the task of being an elder overseer. The other is to minimize the qualities with the attitude of simply choosing the best available even if a man is not ready. Perhaps another tendency is to approach the the list negatively rather than positively. We have nitpicked the list to keep men from serving instead of positively affirming godly men who have the desire to assume this very awesome task. Remember, Paul is saying this is the type of men you should follow. Yes, being an elder overseer is a noble task. An elder is a man of calling. An elder is a man of character. Next week, we will conclude this series 
by seeing what an elder does and learn that an elder is a man of capability. Again, I encourage all of us to please be praying about this process. Appreciate the prayer that Joel led uh, this morning. And constantly be in the Word and in prayer about this process. Uh, Asking the Lord to raise up men among us as additional elders, overseers, shepherds for this church. We're going to stand and Stephen is going to lead us into one more song. We refer to this song as the song of invitation. The invitation is from the Lord. If you have a need this morning that we can encourage you about or pray with you concerning, we ask you to come while we stand and sing.